have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roll with us today, Adam Rank. How you doing, Rank? look great in person and I uh, just can't wait to next year we, we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey Bob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guys Day. It was being ranked. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. This is episode 142 and joining me as always, Major Caldwell, Tara Roberts, and we are presented by the Fantasy Points Media Group. Head to fantasypoints.com today, enter promo code VIPERS22 to get 10% off that subscription. Now joining us today, we have one of the Football Guys staff members joining us. You may also know him from the Auction Brief podcast he is the foremost expert when it comes to auction drafts, and he is a two-time, two-time King's Classic auction champion. He is the one and only Drew Davenport. How are you doing, Drew? Fantastic. That's uh, quite an introduction. Thank you, Matt. It's uh, nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, glad to have you. we got the King's Classic just coming up around the corner here, like in, what, five days, four days, whatever that looks like. Can you believe we're already in August? The Hall of Fame game has already come and gone. We are officially out of week zero and moving into week one of the preseason. That is where we are. For me right now, it seems like football just kind of left, and now we are right back at it. Are you excited? I mean, look at your background there. you got five different screens going on, so you must be ready for the season to kick off. Sunday afternoons from, from one to seven with the Sunday ticket and this TV wall is, is pretty sublime. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I can't even believe it either because, you know, you start the content grind in, you know, May, sometimes even earlier than that, and you blink and here we are. Uh, but you know, at some point, I think I need to actually prepare for the King's Classic draft. I'm doing all this work for the expo and the panel and the poker tournament. I haven't actually done any work for the draft, so I might <laughs> need to start that. I always get a kick of that because I, I keep giving Bob Lung all these different ideas. Hey, you know what we should do? We should have like a little mini Olympics to determine the draft order for these drafts and this and that. He's like, I've already got my hands full. What more do you want? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, you're in that same boat. I mean, Picking up a couple different things there. we got the poker tournament, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I'm sure. But a lot of people don't quite realize, and maybe they do, because, hey, the, the, the podcast itself is basically tells you the auction brief podcast, auction draft, the brief, kind of maybe a little bit of a hint at what your professional life is. Talk about that lawyer kind of background. So we're going to talk about some legal situations here. We're going to talk about some auction stuff, and we're going to kick it off with these legal things, guys. We're going to talk about a former Clemson Tiger here right off the get-go. I know we don't want to. But I could talk about him. Major could talk about him. Tara could talk about him. But none of us is really qualified to break this all down, maybe the way you are. So can you kind of give fantasy managers a little bit of a insight on what to expect this season? Because I know right now, if we go back to our SFB 12 uh, league right now, and you you and I drafted together in that Metropolitan Division there, or the Metropolis, or whatever you want to call it, you took a couple of legal swings at some guys here, including Deshaun Watson in your draft. So how are you putting yourself at ease with? the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Well, at ease is probably not uh, how I'm feeling about it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking some swings on those guys in bigger tournaments and bigger situations. Scott Fishbowl has turned into a huge field in the last couple of years, and I think that's fantastic for the inclusion, and, and I, I totally uh, support Scott's decision on that. But it's become a bit more of a, a minefield. You just kind of got to walk through the, the safe spots. 
And I think that Camara, where I got him, was in the fourth round maybe, and then I ended up getting Watson in maybe the uh, 13th or 14th, something like that. I'm taking those shots because I do think that, and we can talk more details about Camara, but we, I think that there is a chance that both of them see the field for the second half of the year. And if that's the case, that's going to be huge. But in regular redraft formats, I'm being a lot more cautious with so Sue Robinson kind of brought down her verdict, so to speak, there on the six-game suspension. We also know that the NFL, because of the collective uh, the CBA there, has a little bit of say one way or the other. Do they really have a say when it's all said and done? Because I know there's some really interesting language in that whole thing. Yeah, so this is this has turned into one heck of a situation. And I it's it's interesting to me because I think that the whole point of the process that they put in the CBA in the first place was to avoid the circus. And here we are the first time we're using it. So that's, that's odd to me, but you know, at this point, what I keep saying about Robinson's decision is that she really put together. I mean, would you expect any less a former federal judge? She really nailed down all the corners of this case and said, I know what you're going to say. And here's my answer. And I know what you're going to say about this. And here's my answer. So she did a really nice job of laying out like, this is why I'm at where I'm at. So I don't know what's going to happen on this appeal. My guess is that they are going to up the suspension, but I'm really interested to hear the rationale for how they do it. Because like I said, I think Robinson's ideas were really buttoned up and I want to hear how they find an exception to that and decide that there needs to be more punishment. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's coming, but I want to hear the justification when it does. Well, the good news is if you're a Cleveland Browns fan or a Deshaun Watson fan for whatever reason, good thing is he wasn't caught with weed or he'd be suspended for the next two seasons. Now, <laughs> when we talk about some of these other guys here, like Alvin Kamara, we've heard six, eight, ten games at one point down to possibly not even being suspended for the 2022 season because of the way this keeps getting pushed back. What are your thoughts on the Alvin Kamara situation? Yeah, the legal timeline is really kind of setting up exactly like I thought. It might even be going a little bit slower than I thought because back in April – I had a feeling or, or I had a thought to myself, well, maybe this will be over before the season. But then they gave him that continuance back in April that went all the way to August. And I thought, no way. This is now setting up for this to push out past the 23 or the 22 season into early 23. I think that the reason I keep saying that is because these parties are both in a very difficult situation. They're painted kind of into a corner about what they can do because the prosecutor has trouble offering a nice deal to these defendants when there's such egregious injuries involved. And then on the other side, Camara's going to find it hard to really say, hey, I can take that deal if it's going to immediately suspend him or if it's going to be a serious violation of the personal conduct policy. Also, keep in mind that the charge that he has right now, the most serious one, he's got two, but the most serious one is a felony with mandatory prison time. So this isn't just about, hey, am I going to play football? This is, hey, can I get something that's going to take it out of the mandatory uh, zone and, and maybe make it something like a, a, a misdemeanor type thing. But even if that happens, the personal conduct policy basically starts at six games for assaultive type behavior. So this is a really sticky situation, and that's why I say it's going to it's gonna push out. But I, I have two caveats to that. I, I really do believe in the legal timeline, but there are two things that can get in the way. Number one is if that video at some point leaks or is released, it may force the NFL's hand on the exempt list because it sounds like it's a pretty heinous video. We don't know that. We've only heard that second and third hand. And the second caveat I offer is, if at some point during the season, Kamara gets a deal that he feels like he can't pass up, it's possible that he's going to say, all right, I have to take this deal. And even more possible if the Saints are sitting there at like, say, five and eight or something. And he says, ah, you know, we're done for the year. I'm going to take this deal. And I'm going to get the suspension going now. 
And that could negatively impact fantasy uh, drafters in the worst possible way at the end of the season. So it's still a volatile pick. So from a, from a dynasty perspective, let's say that um, let's say you're a contender dynasty league, you've got Camara. you're kind of in a tight situation. Are you, if it were you, would you be looking to mid season? Cause at this point, you know, like you were saying, provided nothing gets leaked, he's going to be playing um, through the majority of the season. Are you looking maybe midway through the season to make a deal and try to sell him off? Or are you going to ride him out as a contender and just try to get what you can out of this year? I, I think I'd be looking for an opportunity. And I, I think that September 29th is going to tell us a lot. There was some, there's an attorney who dropped onto my timeline saying that he has some information. There's a lot of people on Twitter like that. But what he said made a whole lot of sense is that he thinks that there will be maybe possibly a misdemeanor offer coming to Kamara instead of the felony. And so I think we might know more about that on the 29th. And that's, uh, unfortunately, that's into the season and we've already drafted. I get that. But for Dynasty, for your question, I think on the 29th of September, they're going to tell us which way this is going to go. If they set it for a trial date, you're good in 2022 and it's into 23. But if they say on the 29th, hey, we've been having negotiations, we might have a deal here. You've kind of lost that window. So I'd be looking for a shot if I'm a contender to try to get 80 cents on the dollar. Yeah. And another one of those players there, Major, uh, you want to talk about there, one of your College of the Canyon players there. Do you want to ask uh, Drew about that? Yeah, man. Let's talk about Hollywood Brown a little bit, man. Shout out to the College of the Canyon alum. What's what's going on with, with Hollywood? Well, I, I think it's probably going to be much ado about nothing. That's my opinion out of the gate. I don't know his past uh, traffic record. So that's something that, as a defense attorney, I get access to that I won't have access to in this case. But if he doesn't have a history of doing this kind of thing, what I said in a thread uh, about a week ago was that this kind of charge, it's called criminal speeding. So you get this sort of negative connotation that it's criminal. In my jurisdiction, it's called reckless operation of a vehicle. It's just, it's really just an elevation of a regular speeding ticket. And that can be for either driving over 85 on a highway, driving more than 20 miles an hour over, or driving over 35 in a school zone. And that's the Arizona law on it. So he can face jail time and license suspension and stuff like that. But that usually does not come into play. That's very unlikely that there's any jail time here. In fact, what most often happens in this situation is that if he doesn't have a past history of this, they reduce the charge to maybe 85 and a 65. So it's right on that 20 mile an hour zone. Maybe they suspend his license a little bit, or maybe they make him go to traffic school or something like that. I really don't believe he's in line for any serious consequences from the law. And I would be surprised if we saw suspension from the NFL. And then we got one more there. Tara wants to touch bit on there. A little bit of a running back there in Minnesota. The old Delvin uh, Cook situation. Yes, sorry. The Delvin Cook situation. Uh, is there anything that we need to worry about with that one? Yeah, you know, I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because we don't have – right now um, there's a trial date, a jury trial date set in April of 23. So going into early May, a 10-day uh, trial date. So – I don't know that anything's going to happen this season. And on top of that, this is a really nasty back and forth situation that I'm not sure the NFL wants to step in the middle of. They haven't shown a propensity for wanting to punish people with civil charges. I know we're looking at the Watson case a little differently, but in the past that hasn't happened very much. I mean, Antonio Brown had a lot of allegations against him civilly, and then he got the eight game suspension because he pled guilty to a felony. So I don't know that the NFL wants to step in here. As soon as this suit was filed, Dalvin Cook's team pushed back immediately and said, no, uh, Cook has been the uh, victim of abuse. This has 
you know, it sounds like it's setting up to be a pretty nasty fight, pretty prolonged fight. I don't know that we're in any danger in 2022. I'd be surprised if there was any suspension. I, that's the guy I'm least concerned about here. Um, well, him and Brown both. I'm not very concerned about 22 at all. Well, that's great. So put you on the spot here. Dynasty startup, Delvin Cook or Elvin Kamara? Oh, <laughs> you are putting me on the spot. Um, I think I'd, I think I'd lean Cook. I think I'd lean Cook there. All right. So, how much would you bid on Delvin Cook? What, what are we looking at with Delvin Cooks here in 2022? Because we're going to move on to auction uh-huh. drafts here right now. Perhaps one of the most exciting yet frustrating type of fantasy football things out there. First off, why why even bother doing auction drafts? Like, what is the major appeal? Because I, I find this to be the absolute yin and yang going on in my head. The ultimate battle for my mind here. I hate losing anything. That includes a bid, but I'm also cheap. I am incredibly frugal. I'm one of those frugal bidders here as well. And yet somehow, some way, I ended up paying $14 for Sterling Shepard last year in the Kings Classic. So tell me, <laughs> why should I do auction drafts? Matt, you should have stopped bidding. You would have stuck me with him for $11. He doesn't know the word. (laughs) Well, in his defense and in my defense, he was one of the last players on the board that we cared about. But, yeah, well, I tell you what. I would say this about auction drafting. I I say it all the time. If you feel like you have an edge in fantasy football in general – if, and I'm assuming the four of us here are more prepared than 99% of the casual players out there or all the players out there. If you feel like you have an edge, then auctions are for you because that is where you can push the edge to a higher level. And I feel like um, you, when you get into a snake draft, you're really pigeonholed on, the, on, on which, kind of, which set of guys you can take at certain spots in the draft. And auctions don't have that. And my builds are much more unique in auction drafts that allows me to sort of emphasize what I want to emphasize. And so again, if you think you have an edge there, auctions are the way to push that edge. It feels like snake drafts have more of that confirmation bias, right? It seems like when you go into a snake draft, it's more of a consensus type feel to those drafts. And depending on where guys are kind of going, you may get some value here and there. But I mean, like you said, that auction, it's kind of the great equalizer when it comes to drafting. Yeah, sorry about that mid-sip. Um, yeah, it is. And that, <laughs> that's what I keep talking about with people. I say, hey, if you know, you don't want to walk into the draft and be like, oh, I got pick number six. I hate the six hole this year. Like it just really, it really stuffs you into a into a position that maybe you don't want to be in. And I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting there in the fifth round and I'm like, Well, I never wanted to draft this guy, but he's fallen two rounds. I gotta take him. And then he does nothing. And I'm like, see, this is why I didn't want to take him, you know. So you don't have to worry about it that when you're in an auction and i think that's underrated i also i think the fun uh, the competition the amount of engagement that you have during the draft is just on a different level because you have to pay attention to every single thing that's happening as opposed to hack and check out for 15 minutes and come back when it's three picks before me and decide what i want to do you're engaged the whole time it's like a sweaty mess and then you get done and you're like oh that was so much fun (laughs) speaking of engagement um when do you start um do you try to get a feel for the room when you're starting an auction draft do you try and do any planning ahead of time what kind of prep do you do prior to the draft that is uh that is a a huge hole that i could fill in here but let me try to do it simply uh i i spend a there's the the level of preparation that you need is just completely different than in a, a snake draft and the 
the analogy that I make is, let's say that you are, somebody has already um, nominated Leonard Fournette. He's already gone for a certain price. And then Aaron Jones comes up. You have to know not only what you think about Fournette, but also what you think about Aaron Jones. And then what you think about another running back who's right next to them who hasn't been nominated yet. So in the moment, you're really um, playing Jones off of those two other values. And it requires a depth of understanding of your opinion about those guys that you don't have in a snake draft. You really have to be dialed in on that. And so what I, I try to do is you just make sure you have your tiers. And I know people talk about tiers and snake drafting, but it's so important in auction drafting because when the tiers start to dry up, the prices start to go up. So you really have to have your tiers and be ready to jump on players before those tiers get dry. Otherwise, you get stuck paying more than you should. So um, when I get into a draft early on to your first question, if it's a room that I'm not very familiar with, last year at the Kings Classic was tough. There was a lot of new drafters. You know, Matt was in the room. I hadn't drafted with him before. Mauricio Gutierrez, Ian Harditz, some of these new guys, I had no clue what they were going to do. So I do like to sit back and wait and just say, okay, how are these guys going to act? How are they going to attack? Sometimes I even might let three, four rounds go before I'm super active. Now, you can't let all the elite players be gone, so you might have to get a guy somewhere. But I like to let three or four rounds go and just watch, and I know exactly what people's tendencies are if I'm paying attention, and then I can attack a little bit better as it goes forward. Yeah, so give us some of the trick of the trade. Give us, like, the secret sauce do you okay. like nominate guys just to like you know like if somebody else want them you kind of make the price too high you, you play those games i do so there is there's two different ways that you can think about it i know a lot of people have the opinion that when they start off the draft they want to just nominate players that they don't want that are going to be high priced i think that has its place in an auction but i don't know that that's how i would start out every auction because if you, there's two reasons why. Number one, you really want to know where you're going with your draft. If you think, hey, I want a, a top tight end, then I would get that top tight end out there early because you want to know which way you're going to go. And so I think that's really important. And that's one of those things that I believe is kind of a persistent myth. Somebody says, okay, well, I'm out on you know Derrick Henry this year. Then they want to nominate Derrick Henry because somebody's going to spend a bunch of money on him. That's not bad logic. But in reality, think about it. Like, Is Derrick Henry really going to last on the board that long? Why do you need to nominate Henry? Somebody's going to do it for you. Nominate something that works for you. Wait wait for somebody else to nom you know, nominate Henry. And you can think of it like this. Let's say that Henry's going to go for 50 bucks this year. I don't know if that's right or not, but 45, 50 bucks. If, if somebody gets Henry, you've tied up $50 of their budget. That's correct. But if there are three or four people in the room who want Henry, you're actually tying up $200 because all those people are thinking about Henry and you're tying up more cap by leaving him on the board. So I tend to leave players like that on the board that I don't want. And that's early on. It has its place. In the middle part of the draft, I want to be punting my nominations and spending people's money and kind of filling up their roster. So in the middle of the draft, that's when I'm starting to get players out that I don't want. But at the beginning, it's players that I do want. So that's that's one big thing that I think people uh, miss on in auctions. Have you, ever, have you ever done that and ended up with that player? You got stuck with a player? Um, no, well, it's happened, but very rarely because I'm going to really lowball and I'm going to pick somebody that I don't mind getting stuck with. And I'm always going to start with a dollar. So until you get to the very, very late stages, I almost never get stuck with anybody because I'm going to call out somebody that, you know, I may not be that excited about, I don't know, Elijah Mitchell or somebody and say, all right, two bucks. And if somebody sticks me with them 
for two bucks, they're not going to, but if they do, I'm fine. Right. But otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty much just going to be like, okay, if you paid 11 bucks, that's probably too cheap for Mitchell. But I don't really want him anyway. It takes up a roster spot. It takes up 11 bucks. I'm cool with that. And roster spots tend to have more value as the, as the auction goes on. So I'm trying to fill their rosters in the middle part of the draft. Let's talk about uh, bidding and players. Are you trying to big bid or bid big early? Or are you trying to wait later for those discounted players? Are you trying to build your roster with a vast majority of studs and then maybe waiting for some discounted players to fill that in? Or are you trying to build out a more even roster overall? I have a couple different thoughts on that. I think that I like a flatter build when it's a deeper league. So 14, 16 team leagues, I want to go a lot flatter and I want to have more uh, guys on my bench so I can go deeper. Uh, But when I'm in 10 team, 12 team auctions, I really want to focus on getting some top players. Now, I've never been one to chase the absolute top at the position. I don't like my builds when I chase Josh Allen or Travis Kelsey. Because every summer I have these like hopes and dreams. Like this is the year I'm going to get Kelsey. It never happens because I go in there and I'm like, I'll pay, I'll pay 26 for Kelsey. And then he goes for 34. And I'm like, I just, I don't like my builds when that happens. You have a hole somewhere. I'm not, I'm not excited about it. So I'm not usually chasing top, top at the position, but I'm usually chasing, I don't know, in that four to eight range. So like last year, my big target was Austin Eckler because he was a bottom around one guy. And I thought that I could get him for a reasonable price, which turned out to be true. Low $40 range for Eckler. And that's kind of what I'm looking at this year. One of those guys is Dalvin Cook, uh, Joe Mixon. Those guys, maybe upper 30s, low 40s is realistic. And that's where I'm at for my RB1. I'm not really going to chase uh, you know, McCaffrey or Taylor. I just, I just don't like how my team sets up when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think the question that every like auction player or GM has is, when do you know when to fold it on a particular player? Like, how do you know when is when to call it quits? Um, that's really hard, man. It's a lot of finesse. It's it's one of those situations where you have to look at what you need still and how badly you need the player. The way I always term it is there's a push and pull between need and price. And I'll say it like this. So if you already have your wide receiver three and Juju Smith-Schuster comes up and you think, okay, he's a perfect wide receiver three. Now the bidding stops at, you know, six bucks. You already have your wide receiver three, but it's $6. I don't really need that, but $6 is way too cheap. So there's, that's an easy one. That's like, okay, I don't need him, but the price is too good. And then there's the other end of the spectrum. You don't have your wide receiver two yet. Juju's the best guy left. And he comes up and he's at 17. That's too much, but you need him so bad that you got to say 18. So there's a little push and pull there between price and need. And the other thing that I like, and, and this is really the secret sauce, uh, usually I only talk about this on my uh, on my show, but I go by something I call a par sheet. And a par sheet is just um, uh, the actual roster spots written on a piece of paper, and I come up with an exact dollar amount I want to spend on every roster spot. And so I don't use percentages or ranges or anything like that. I put it exactly. RB1, I want to spend 43. Wide receiver 1, I want to spend 36. And I do that for every spot. And the way that helps is not that I'm going to spend that on every spot. What it helps is, okay, well, I wanted to spend 43, but I just spent 41. So I'm going to write like a little plus two out to the side and know that I'm two bucks richer now. And then so Mm -hmm. if that wide receiver bidding gets over the price I wanted to pay, I know I can spend a few extra bucks and maybe even a little bit more because I can pull it from somewhere else. So your par sheet tells you where can I pull it, where can I stick it, 
whether I'm ahead or behind, that gives you those answers in the heat of the moment when you really need them. So to that extent, um, sorry, Matt, <laughs> I just wanted off of that. So to that extent, if you've got, let's say you're able to get your RB1 and you had, you know, $50 allocated to him and you were able to steal him for 45 um, mid draft, are you adjusting those $5 to allocate to other particular places? No, I'm leaving that $5 out. I want it hanging out there because what I want to do is be able to be flexible. And that's why I love getting ahead early in the draft. So if I can see a plus five or a plus eight out there, I know that at some point some value is going to come up or a player is going to come up where I'm like, this is the, this is the moment. Because a lot of times the way you can use that money is just to make your starting lineup a lot stronger because you will have already allocated some money to your bench. So I don't typically throw that money at my bench unless I'm in something real deep with a lot of good players, like maybe the Kings Classic, where you can sprinkle that down and have a better roster overall. But more often than not, I like to just leave it hanging out there. And then at some point in the draft, things are going to get scarce. And you're going to have most of your guys and you're going to think, ah, if I threw that eight bucks at this guy, my roster is going to take off. And then that's why I usually slam it into one position later in the draft. So a couple of things that I grab on that. First off, I want to set this record straight here on the Sterling Shepard thing. First off, I had like $15 and two roster spots left. It was the end of the draft. I mean, it was like, you can't take this money with you, right? So it's like, yeah, let's get rid of it. Unfortunately, it left me with like $1 and I sat there trying to make $1 bids, $1 bids. You can't bid $2. Everyone's nominating for $1. You can't bid on those guys. So you sit there for... I bet you I had to sit there with my one roster spot for like the next probably 45 minutes until I got an opportunity to bid on someone. Uh, second, I'm going to need you to send me that par sheet here before uh, Thursday so that I'm ready. Don't worry. I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the Dawson division, so we, we should be okay here right now. So far. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, then sure. Yeah. Unless <laughs> something changes <laughs> here in the next little while. Confirm that before you send it over. So we, I know you're a big poker kind of guy then we've got the river we've got the flop we've got all these kind of things what kind of terminology do we get in auction drafts because i just found the pump and dump and that seems like something i want to try this year well uh <laughs> i tell you what i'm not the i'm not the best guy to ask about that um stars and scrubs is is one of the ones that i hear a lot and yeah price enforcing or um trying to run you up that's that's what i hear a lot in my leagues uh, oh he was trying to run me up because you can kind of tell when people are doing it, especially if you're in a live draft room, people kind of get that look like, hey, I know you need this guy real bad, so I'm going to run you up a little bit. So that, those are a couple of examples, but I'm, I'm not the best guy to ask about that, I don't think. I don't I don't have anything juicy for you, sorry. I think the run-up is the pump and dump now, right? That's how is that the same works. thing? Yeah, you pump it all the way, you, you know, push the price up, and then you kind of dump them off on someone else. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. See, see, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> I remember we, we did that to uh, Kate and Michelle there a couple years ago in the auction draft when we nominated Zach Moss. We got him up there pretty good a couple years ago, but that, hey, that's neither here nor there. But what I want to talk about is, Hey, before we move on to the behind the grind part here, I mean, you got to check out the auction brief podcast. I mean, it's one of the best podcasts out there right now. Drew, you do a fantastic job breaking everything down for everybody that's listening. Not to mention you've got the 2022 mastering series going on there and i bet you you touched on salary caps i think it was a seven part series if i'm not mistaken is it quite is quite in depth and stuff so those people who are in those salary cap leagues i mean this is something you want to make sure you're getting in on right well i appreciate you uh giving me a chance to talk about that yeah the auction brief's a little bit different than any other fantasy podcast i know everybody thinks that but i i do legal updates and i talk about auction stuff and then i have a guest on to talk you know uh player evaluations so i've, I've always said that i'm not the best player evaluator out there 
Uh, I listen to smarter people than me on that. So I get some guests on and they talk player evaluation and then I talk legal situations and auction theories. So it's a fun, fun, um, you know, uh, melding together of those things. But uh, yeah, the mastering series over on Football Guys is my favorite thing I do all summer. And I completely rewrote it this summer. I feel like it was a little stale after last summer. And so I just completely rewrote it. I think part five dropped today. Part six is in the queue. And part seven will be coming up late in the week. But yeah, go over to Football Guys and check that out. I start with basic concepts and talk about beginner strategies and how to attack beginner drafts. And then we get into more uh, concrete stuff like preparing for the draft. And then episode, um, part four is about nomination strategies. Part five is about bidding strategies. And part six I just turned in is about reading your league and tells uh, on uh, how you can see what, what people are thinking and what they're about to do. And then part seven is about inflection points, when the draft changes and you should be all over those inflection points trying to get value in your auction. Well, I think it's safe to say that when it comes to auction drafts, you are certainly in the top three, and I don't mean second or third. And, hey, when it comes to rankings, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but, hey, I, I know a thing or two when it comes to rankings, so maybe we can make a little bit of a, a swap here heading into the Kings Classic. I'll give you my redraft rankings. You help me out with the auction there, a little bit of help each other one way or the other. And the other thing that I want to bring up here before we get on, because we are talking about the Expo here, the breakout panel on auctions at the Expo, 130 to 230, breakout stage. First off, Kind of tell people what to expect there. And second, can I just come up there in the stage, just kind of stroke my mustache and look like I know what I'm talking about? Please don't. Yeah, you can come up and just sit there and look. Cool. Don't say that. Don't. He's going to do it. Don't, in. don't say that. You just ruined mm. it. <laughs> no, Bob laid down the law. I said, how many can I have? He said, Security only three. Yeah, only three of you or three people and you. So um, Jody Smith is going to be on there, Scott Pianowski, and Doug Worth. So I think that's those are three auction sharks. I, I really wanted three people that knew what they're doing. Pianowski is one of the best auction drafters I've ever played with. Every time I got I was getting a deal in the in the Kings Classic last summer, I hear Scott's ass pipe piping up from the corner of the room, like just bid me up a couple more dollars. He knew I was getting a deal and he kept he kept me honest. I, I bet you he wasted fifteen or twenty dollars on my cap in that draft. So yeah, I love having these these guys on there. There, Doug Orth does um, high stakes auction stuff. So I'm probably going to tell a few funny stories from some auctions in the past. And um, and then we're going to get into some theories about how they attack things and how they do their positional allocations and, and how they like to do nominations. All right. So if you want to catch that, make sure you're heading to the expo right now. But hey, if you can't be at the expo, that's okay too, because all these breakout sessions are being taped, they're being filmed, they're being recorded You'll be able to get those much later on the other site there. So just because you can't make it doesn't mean you can't be part of the expo here in 2022. With that all being said, hey, I'm Matt for Major, for Tara, and for Drew. We are out of here, and we're going to come back with Behind the Grind where we get a little bit more of an in-depth look at one Mr. Drew Davenport. See you in a bit.